0: Welcome to The Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at The Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on October 17th, 2013, and the theme of the evening was Two Sides to Every Story to keep moving along with our next pair of storytellers, of which I am a member. So the person I get to introduce to you now, it's actually kind of weird introducing her on a show. So she, she's she been on the show before, but she hasn't done the show since I became co-host. Uh, she is a scholar and a feminist and an activist. And uh, some of you who've been around town for a long time know her from running clubs like the Bluebird or the Gothic. Uh, And I feel pretty lucky because she is my favorite person on the entire planet. And I've shared my life with her for the last 16 years. It's pretty amazing. So please help me welcome Mary Robertson.
1: So on May 8th, 2006... I sat on a bench with my partner Robert in the terminal at Denver International Airport, saying goodbye as I prepared to board a plane for Managua, Nicaragua, where I would be backpacking by myself for the next 30 days. I was terrified. Excited too, but terrified nonetheless. I was afraid my Spanish would fail me, that the people of Nicaragua would despise me for being from the United States, that I would pick up some communicable disease or get robbed or worse while traveling. Uh, while traveling alone through this Central American country, which I most strongly associated with civil war and drug trafficking, I had cold feet. This trip was something that had been forming in my imagination since before I went back to college four years earlier to get my bachelor's degree. It was to be my reward for sticking it out. Now that it was here, I wasn't too sure if I was up for the adventure, but it was all planned and here we were at the airport and it was time to go. We said goodbye, I entered security, I feigned bravery, But once on the plane, it started to kind of feel manageable, and my excitement outweighed my fears, and besides, it was just 30 days. After that, Robert and I would be reunited in Bogota, Colombia, where we would travel together in South America for another two months. My adventure had begun. I took the advice of my cousin Francesca, a former Peace Corps volunteer in Nicaragua, to check into the bougie hotel across the street from the airport when I got there, since tourists tend to be sitting sitting ducks in Central American capital cities. I was arriving at night, and this way I could skip the complicated taxi negotiation, get a good night's sleep, and let the real fun begin in the morning. I found a kindred soul in a young woman named Jennifer, who, unlike my cousin, was just beginning her Peace Corps service, but had been in country long enough to know better than I what she was doing. She and I walked across the street to the hotel, checked in, got our rooms. We shared a beer with Juan Carlos, a salesman from Chile, before turning in for the night. I remember how desperately happy I was to have found a friend in this woman. It was not like me to make such fast friends, but when you find yourself so outside of your comfort zone, it's amazing how quickly you seek out and rely on the help of strangers. Alas, as is typical of this kind of travel, I never really saw my new-made friends again. I got up early the next morning, packed my bags, and headed out to the highway to find a taxi to take me to the bus or the colectivo that would take me to my second destination in Nicaragua, a town called León. I stepped out of the safety of the hotel into the heavy, intense heat of Managua, where several taxi drivers were vying for my fare. This was the moment when I had to take my first real leap of faith and trust in the kindness of a stranger. If you've ever traveled in a foreign country, particularly one where you aren't fluent in the language, then you're familiar with that sense of distrust that begins with your first taxi ride. I always find myself suspicious that I'll be taken advantage of. This was amplified for me in a city like Managua, which has a somewhat grandiose air of lawlessness about it. But the driver was friendly, took me straight to a waiting bus that was headed to Leon, charged me just what I expected to pay. The Colectivo was a minivan with room for for 14 passengers, two of whom sat up front with the driver. I took another leap of faith when I handed over possession of my backpack, which contained my entire world for the next three months so that it could be strapped to the roof with the rest of the van's cargo. The colectivos are privately operated and don't work on a timetable. They just leave when they're full. So I waited and watched while more and more people boarded. Just when I thought it was full and time to depart, another seat folded out from a nook to make room for one more person. While we waited, vendors milled around outside, selling beverages in plastic bags and various snacks and baubles through the windows of the vans. Finally, we filled up and were on our way. As I bumped along the pothole filled highway in a minibus overloaded with human lives, devouring sights and sounds like a starving person, I felt more fulfilled and happy and satisfied than I could ever really remember. And free, I was so free. The first handful of days in Nicaragua were difficult for me, especially after dark, when I was so lonely, eating dinner by myself, facing a night alone in some dingy room. But after about the third night, I began to catch my stride, and with each day, I grew more comfortable, more outgoing, more accustomed to the rhythm of a wayfarer. The best part about the whole experience was that I had taken those leaps of faith and landed on my feet, although not without the kindness, generosity, and assistance of the people of Nicaragua and the other travelers I met along the way. None of the things I had feared so much that day in the airport back in Denver ever came to pass. My Spanish was getting stronger every day. The people treated me more with curiosity than disdain. I never got sick, and not only was I never robbed, but I never even felt threatened. I even spent the last few days of my time in Nica in Managua, the dreaded capital city, negotiating for cabs around town and shopping in the massive open-air market by myself. I was no longer afraid. Cautious, yes, but afraid, no. My time in Nico was up, and so I flew to Bogota, where a whole new unknown awaited me. I felt as if I was in exile from my home. So much about me had changed in 30 days. Arriving in Bogota was much less daunting than my experience in Managua 30 days earlier. I arrived in the late morning and had reservations in another bougie guest house in the northern part of the city. What I wasn't prepared for in Bogota was what a bustling, modern, cosmopolitan city it would be. After having been in one of the poorest countries in the world for the past month, where running water and electricity are inconsistent, where roads are rarely paved, where beat-up old taxis with missing parts and no seatbelts share the road with horse-pulled carts, I was completely floored by the shiny red taxis, the skyscrapers, the neon signs, and the Transmillennial Rapid Bus Service. While I knew Colombia was not going to be like Nicaragua, at the same time, I couldn't really imagine it any other way. Arriving alone in Bogota is further complicated by its own nefarious reputation, one we're likely all familiar with, and it includes violent drug lords, civil strife between the, the FARC and the paramilitar- paramilitarios, kidnappings, bombings, etc. But Bogota was a city much like any big city in the U.S. in many ways, and after a month in Nicaragua, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I checked into our room at La Casona del Patio Amarillo and immediately set out to explore the neighborhood. I could hardly believe my eyes when I saw espresso shops that served pastries, Thai food restaurants, wine shops, an upscale grocery store where I could buy French cheese and sparkling water and granola bars. I was overwhelmed with the options. I'm not exactly sure when it was that I realized I didn't have Robert's flight information. We, we had last spoken when I was still in Managua, perhaps the night before. We signed off with what seemed like an impossible, see you tomorrow... I do know that by the time I made the realization he must have already been traveling because I couldn't reach him either by email or phone. And keep in mind that although this was 2006 and plenty of people had cell phones then, they just simply weren't as ubiquitous as they are now. And while I think that Robert had one, I know I definitely didn't have one then, but I think Robert had one. It wasn't something that he would have brought with him and of course wouldn't have worked outside the country anyway. I was certain that he was flying Avianca Air, and I remembered getting on the internet at the guest house in an attempt to track down when he was coming in. But there were several flights there were several different flights arriving from the US and since he hadn't flown direct, all I could do was get my best guess as to which city he was coming from. Was it Miami? Houston? Atlanta? In the end, I think I just sort of went with the one that seemed right time wise <laughs> and figured that I'd find him. When I explained my predicament to the owners of the guesthouse, they were hard-pressed to hide their disbelief at our misstep. (laughs) What do you mean you don't know what flight he's coming in on? They, of course, had a much better understanding of the situation than I did, that several flights arrived at the El Dorado International Airport all day and night from the U.S. They kindly arranged for a taxi to pick me up, take me to the airport, wait for Robert and I, and bring us back. The taxi driver was lovely, and like most Bogotanos, spoke Spanish in the clear, slow, formal dialect that was far easier for me to understand than the rapid, quick, lyrical Spanish of Nicaragua. I could tell that he, too, thought that I was a dipshit for not knowing when Robert's flight was coming, but I just knew that everything was going to work out. I got out of the taxi at the airport, telling the driver I'd be back as soon as I could, and set out to meet Robert. So here I am in El Dorado International, straining my neck through wave after wave of arriving travelers, none of them, including Robert. You know how when you're waiting for someone at a train, or a train station or the airport, and you play this funny game with yourself where every time there's this wave of people, and you think to yourself, they'll be in this group, they've got to be in this group. And then, but the crowd thins, there's a few stragglers, never the person you're looking for. They wander out, and each time you get more and more anxious. You eventually become part of the scenery rather than a temporary interloper. The groups of people waiting to meet incoming travelers keep cycling through as they connect with their friends and loved ones while you start to resemble an airport employee or something. <laughs> At some point, I went to the Av- Avianca Airlines counter and tried to get their help, but they couldn't find Robert's name anywhere. Given the language barrier, I was never quite sure whether they even could have told me what flight he was on, you know, even if they knew... Um, and while all, well, all this time was slipping away in, at the airport, in the back of my mind, I was becoming increasingly anxious about the friendly tax dr- taxi driver who was waiting for me outside, and how I was really starting to inconvenience him. So taxis to and from El Dorado are fixed rates, so I knew he wasn't charging me for the time that he was waiting, but I also knew it wasn't fair of me to keep him around forever but I also knew that the owner of the guest house entrusted him with my care and that there was no way he was going to leave this crazy gringa alone at the airport. Bogota had really only very recently become safe again, and the terrorized and traumatized Bogotanos trusted their city even less than I did. I was returning to the guest house with him whether I found Robert or not. At some point, I decided I had to give up. I knew Robert was coming, but I could be here all night waiting. What if he'd already jumped in a cab and was waiting for me back at the guest house? What if his flight had been delayed and an email had arrived with news? I knew for sure that Robert had the name of the guest house, so he was just gonna have to figure it out how to get there on his own. Terribly disappointed about our misconnection, after 30 days of waiting and feeling ashamed for deserting him, I returned to the cab and went back to the guest house. The thing was, for me, though, after spending the past 30 days in Nicaragua by myself, I knew something that, that Robert didn't know, and that was that everything was going to be fine. So we returned to La Casa de Maria to no news from Robert. I went to my room to wait the whole thing out. Eventually, and I, I really don't remember the timing of all of this. Like I, I want to say it was like maybe 9-ish, but I, and I'm not exactly sure when I went to the airport. Maybe I went to the airport around 5. Uh, I don't know. But eventually... The phone rang, and I was summoned. I took the receiver, and I was so relieved to hear Robert's voice on the other end. Where are you? He asked. I apologized profusely and said I'd explain later, later, giving him specific instructions on how to get a cab to the guest house. When he finally arrived another 30 or 40 minutes later, instead of the happy reunion I'd imagined we'd have at the airport, I had to pay the cab driver, introduce him to the guest house owners, laugh off the crisis with embarrassment, and explain out of the corner of my mouth to my dejected and understandably aghast lover, Robert, we never exchanged flight information. As it turns out, Robert was never on Avianca Air. He flew Delta or some shit. (laughs) He forgave me, of course, and it has since become one of our favorite stories to tell together. So as I recounted this story, the one thing that's so striking to me is the way that the cell phone has changed the game of chance in life. So had this happened to us today, we probably would have cell phones with us. Or at least I would have had a better chance catching him before he exited U.S. airspace. And I, I'm not sure that this is a good thing. You know, it's convenient, of course, but I wouldn't have this story to tell. And perhaps more, more importantly, Robert wouldn't have his story to tell. And with that...
0: Mary Robertson... I refute everything she said categorically. It's horseshit. That's not how it went down. Let me tell you the truth. (laughs) Uh, So, there's a funny thing that happens when you tell people that you're traveling to Colombia, we found out in 2006. Um, Everybody knows somebody who's been to Colombia, or they know somebody who knows somebody who has been to Colombia. And they have advice to relate to you because of that experience. And generally, they fall along certain lines, like, don't ever get on the second bus in a caravan of buses. Because the terrorists, the narco (laughs) traficantes, they let the first bus go. (laughs) But they pull everybody off of the second bus. And they kill them. <laughs> Here's another one we heard, and these are these are real these are real things. I'm not. This is not bullshit. Don't ever stop at red lights in Bogota <laughs> because you will get kidnapped and raped and killed by narco <laughs> Don't eat the fruit. Uh, don't ever do anything uh, that involves um, going outside at night. Uh, where there aren't lights. <laughs> All of those things. And, and it's sort of backed up by uh, the Defense Department who puts out these travel advisories. And as we started talking about where we were going to travel to celebrate our graduation from college, both of us, uh, we looked at several places in South America, um, and we settled on Columbia because it seemed like a fun adventure. Uh, because it wasn't uh white people there weren't it seemed like there weren't a lot of white people there and that seemed interesting to us um so we decided on Colombia and we started in on like the fear campaign from everybody who was close to us and strangers everyone it was coming from all angles uh and mary was graduating before i was and she was going on this trip to Nicaragua which Frightened me a little bit because of the same things. And you try to, like, shrug these off. You're like, yeah, you've never been. This is your cousin. I have, I, we have the internet and Snopes, and we know that these things aren't true. So, like, okay, this isn't true. But it, it's, it's still, like, accumulatively, it, it it, adds up, and it sticks with you, and, and you sort of internalize all of these warnings. Uh, and so Mary went to Nicaragua while I finished my last semester, and... And she was off doing amazing things on her own and and being a part of this grand adventure. And that in and of itself scared me. But we were to meet in Bogota, which I think is the story that she told you. Uh, um, and we didn't communicate about it very well, apparently. Uh, so... I moved out of our apartment and into uh, moving a, a storage unit because we were getting rid of our apartment. We were sort of slimming down, and we were going to return from this trip invigorated and refreshed and anew in Denver. And uh, I moved everything into our storage unit, and I stayed with a friend for a few days, and then I flew to Columbia. And I had been graduating college just a few days prior, so I was busy and was not refreshing my very, very mediocre uh, command of the Spanish language. So I essentially took the six-hour flight down to Colombia to brush up. And, and the whole time I'm flying down to Bogota, I'm thinking about all of these warnings that we've heard. And I'm, and I'm worried. I start, I start freaking out a little bit on the flight. And Mary was flying from, uh, from Nicaragua to Bogota a day before I was. She was going to be there. We had, a, we had a place that she had booked uh, in, the, in the heart of the city and that she was going to meet me at the airport. And that was, a, that was our plan. It, sound, it's, it sounded awesome. Great. Perfect. We're going to be in Bogota. You meet me at the airport. We're going to go off and have this adventure. I'm freaking out about these things. And one of the things that I'm freaking about mainly is this drug called scopolamine. And this is an actual thing. You can look it up on Snopes. It's called the dragon's breath. And it's an actual drug. And what scopolamine is, is that it's a, it's a colorless, odorless, flavorless drug that people put into drinks. Now, oh, let me back up. That Colombians put onto cigarettes and into Coca-Cola and into coffee and into fruit. And they will walk up to you as soon as you walk off the plane, and they will, f- in this very friendly Latin American way, offer you a taste of fruit or a cigarette. And then the, what this drug does, and this is real, is that it, it inhibits it like it inhibits your willpower. You turn into a zombie. So somebody gives you scopolamine, and then and then a couple minutes later they say, "You would probably like to give me your luggage, right?" And you say. That sounds awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the slice of mango. I really want to give you my luggage. That's what this drug does. And the Defense Department puts out these travel advisories, and one of the things that they mention is scopolamine. So the entire time I'm flying down to Columbia, I'm thinking about scopolamine and how all of these people are going to rush up to me at the airport offering me mango slices, cigarettes, Coca-Cola coffee, and that I'm going to be stripped of my luggage and raped probably... And left for dead, just outside the, 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 the airport in, in Bogota, but it wasn 't just the scopolamine, because they talk about the threat of kidnapping in these uh, defense department reports too. so I had this picture in my head that like you fly into that because i 'd seen Romancing the stone I knew what <laughs> Columbia, I knew what colombia was like i didn 't have a great command of spanish, but, uh, but I, I, I knew what, what what I was in for I, I, I pictured sort of flying down into this palm tree-lined uh, field, and that, like, uh, because of the threat of kidnapping and all of these narco and all of these competing factions in the Colombia who are trying to control the drug territory, I knew that they were all just going to be hanging out on the periphery of the runway, like, strapped with bandoleros and, like, these swarthy, sweaty, incredibly sexy men just, like, waiting on the periphery. Uh, just with their faces just covered in cocaine, just like, looking for Americanos! I knew that this was going to happen to me and that I was going to be dragged from the airplane, identified not as a family member of plenty of which were, were flying from Fort Worth down to, uh, down to Bogota. I was not one of them. They would know right away, like, the, it's the dude in the cardigan. Get him! Let's go. Wrap him up. We're going to throw him in a tent, keep him for four months, uh, try to barter with him. When he's worthless, we'll just kill him. But Mary was going to meet me at the airport, so I sort of felt like I had to go. So I, so I went. And I, I, we arrive in Bogota, and I get off the plane, and there are all of these beautiful family reunions happening. All of these people who had come down from Fort Worth, which was where we transferred our flights and, and the, the airport, it's, it, it, for, for, being, for Bogota being such a huge Latin American city, uh, the, the, the airport felt downright provincial. Like it felt like you were in Rapid City, essentially, the, the size of the airport. And, and when I got off the plane, there was this flurry of activity. It was a, it was a plane coming from Fort Worth uh, full of family reunions, like I said. I get off the plane, and I'm mortified. And I come out of the gate, and of course, the first thing that happens is that a woman walks up to me, and she offers me a coffee. And she was, had a thermos, and she was selling very small cups of coffee, and I was like, I know your game, lady. Get the fuck away from me. In English. <laughs> because I'm a fucking horrible person. <laughs> and Mary's not there. So all of these families are reuniting. All of these people are starting to glom onto me. And now it's not just the woman trying to sell me coffee. It's the guy who runs the taxi cab, who clearly wants, he's saying that he wants to take me to wherever I'm going, but I know what he means, is I want you to get in my car so I can kidnap you and turn you over to the bad people. <laughs> the cocaine people. <laughs> and as, as all of these family reunions start to taper off and the, the warm embraces uh, just sort of linger into soft conversations between families that that are moving out of the gate area and away from the airport, I'm left standing there. I have no money. I have no Colombian currency. I have... Uh, just uh, my bag, and that's it, and, uh, and, a, and an absent girlfriend. And so I'm like, well, she's late. But then 10 minutes go by, 25 minutes go by, and the coffee woman comes back to me, and she offers me coffee again. But then she's like, well, do you, do you need anything? And I know that that, too, is code for I'm ready to poison you and kill you. I'm going to find out a way to rape you, and I'm going to do it. Uh, And then pretty soon the airport is pretty much empty. And I'm like, well, it's only a matter of time before somebody whittles down my defenses and rapes me and kills me. Kidnaps me, rapes me, and kills me. And I assume at this point that Mary has been raped and killed. (laughs) Because it's the only logical conclusion to her not being at the airport in Bogota in this foreign country of which we are about to have this amazing adventure. And the taxi guy comes back to me and he's like, so where are you going? And I'm like, please get the fuck away from me. I have, I want, I want, I want nothing to do with you. So at this point, I'm just like looking at Colombian people who are uh, trying to offer me things and I'm keeping a wide berth of them. So now I'm just traveling through this empty, small uh, Bogota Airport, and I don't know how to use the ATM because I'm a fucking moron, and I just don't, I don't know how to use the phone. I have nothing. I have no girlfriend. I'm 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 just avoiding my death as for as long as I can by circling around the purgatory that is the Bogota Airport. And the the, the lady with the the coffee comes back to me, and and I'm like, all right, well, it's gonna it has to be somebody who's gonna break me down and kill me. I'm. She's got a nice face. <laughs> I'll let it be her. And she starts asking me questions that have nothing to do with uh, coffee. Uh, she asks me what I'm, what I'm doing there, where I'm coming from. And I try in my, in my best broken Spanish to explain to her that I was trying to meet my novia at the airport and that she wasn't there and that I was starting to get worried. And she brings the taxi guy who was, uh, and they were clearly in fucking cahoots, right? (laughs) Like it's a whole operation that they have there, and they're all in cahoots, and then they divvy up my three American dollars that I had in my wallet, my student ID that they tack up somewhere on a wall with all the other American (laughs) recent college graduates uh, that they have vanquished, um... The taxi guy comes over and he gets into the conversation, and then I f- just feel ashamed. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm staying, really, uh, or or where my girlfriend is, or how to get there, uh, and and I have like, and then I start to realize, wow, Mary and I did a really poor job of planning this <laughs> rendezvous in Bogota, and. Um, and they start asking me more questions and they ask for like we finally uh, like I did have the name of the place where I was staying and 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 I eventually through much conversation and coaxing re- I give over that information <laughs> to to my murderers <laughs> and and they this was the cool part he I don't have any money, but the taxi driver does. And she says, well, we'll call them, and we'll find out if they know where your girlfriend is. And so they, we all went over to a payphone. phone, and I, there's still this lingering part of me that's like, well, they're just calling backup? <laughs> <laughs> the kingpin? I don't know what's happening. But again, at this point, I'm, I'm sort of resigned to whatever fate Columbia is going to deal me. Uh, and I'm in the hands of these people, uh, the coffee vendor and the taxi cab driver. They take me over to a payphone and they call the place where I was staying. And Mary gets on the phone, and 30 seconds later, I'm talking to Mary. And it was simply miscommunication, of which Mary, who has like notes and does research, I'm sure described much better than I can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, And they put me in a queue to get on a taxi cab to, that's going to whisk me away to this place where Mary is in Bogota, where we're going to have this great adventure. And, uh, and as we're standing there waiting, the taxi cab driver is trying to speak to me in English, and he's doing a really poor job, so we're just sort of talking at each other. He in English to me and me in Spanish to him in just this broken way. He's asking me about what I think about Rambo. What do I think about Sylvester Stallone? What do I think about him? What's my favorite Sylvester Stallone movie? Well, it's Rambo. <laughs> so we were on the same page there, he and I. Like, that, like we agreed there. And then, like, we, we did some quote-alongs together in English. And he, and he got me in a taxi. And 45 minutes later, I was in the arms of my girlfriend in Bogota, where we had this amazing adventure. And... Uh, I guess my lesson from that, which I tried to take for the rest of the trip, was to just let go. And all of these warnings that everyone gave us, all of this negative talk about this experience that we were going to have in colombia none of it, nothing materialized. We had zero, zero bad things happen to us. Uh, and, 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 and what I remember of that trip are, are not... Um, has nothing to do with cocaine. has nothing to do with Pablo Escobar. It has everything to do with seeing, uh, seeing Colombian grandmothers cradle their children in their arms while they're singing along with whatever music is playing on these bu- long-distance long bus trips that we took. Uh, I remember seeing people flying kites everywhere, all over the Campo. It was everywhere. People would fly kites just for the fuck of it. And that was a beautiful thing that we saw all over Colombia. Uh, we saw... People everywhere who wanted to talk to us in a genuine way, curious not only about where we were from, but why we wanted to come to where they lived, and then they wanted to tell us about where they lived. And most importantly, I got to spend two months with the love of my life and hearing her speak in much better Spanish than I could. With all of these people, we were pulled into dances uh, in in underground bars in Cali. It was it was a beautiful experience, and and I guess. Um, There's not much more to the story than that, other than we sort of fucked up, but uh, we had this beautiful experience that that sort of sandwiched all of that. (laughs) The narrator's podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at DenverDiatribe.com. The narrator's podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, SexyPizzaOnline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at CommerceKitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.